This Augusta Golf Show podcast is brought to you by Audi Augusta. Online at AudiAugusta.com. Well, Christina Kim is a three-time winner on the LPGA Tour. Got a couple of top ten finishes this year. Member of three Solheim Cup teams. And now, and now, a broadcaster. Pleasure to welcome Christina Kim to the Augusta Golf Show for the very first time. How are you, Christina? I'm doing well, thanks. How are you? I thought you were going to say, and now, and now, a guest on yes. the Golf Radio Show. Yeah, <laughs> That's yeah. where you're going to go. No, no, no. I've wanted to do this for a really long time. Thank you. I'm glad it, it we, we made it work, and thank you for saying yes to this. No, of course, John. Don't be silly. Um, I like being silly. Uh, <laughs> so, I, first-time guests, I always ask this question. How'd you get introduced to the game? It was your dad, wasn't it? Yes, it was my father. He introduced my brother, sister, and I, both older than I am, uh, when I was just a, I was just about 12 years old. I was, I was just shy of 12. And so he did a very unconventional way of doing it. He took us into the backyard. Um, I, I used to always say he took us out back, and I'm like, he didn't, he didn't <laughs> do like an old yell or anything. Oh, my goodness. So he took us to the backyard. He set us up in front of a mat with a ball, a plastic ball hanging on a hook, showed us the basics of the golf swing and said, swing 500 times a day, as many times as you can continuously. You need to get 500 in total, though, to each of us. So we did that for about three three months until he finally took us to a driving range and said, there's a point to all this. The ball is off the hook. You're supposed to sit, hit it as far away as you can and put it in a hole that's already cut in the ground in as few shots as you can. So I was like, okay. And, uh, you know, we just kind of took off running because, you know, and we had worked through a lot of our, um, say, issues, you know, like a lot of like the swing issues that you have, you know, when you're first starting to play golf and, you know, even just the muscles that you need in order to to hit a golf ball. uh, We were able to cultivate those muscles a little bit uh, quicker. So we we seemed like we excelled um, at a quicker pace than, you know, when you first put a club in someone's hand. Why did he love the game? He, so he was always very athletic. He was like a nationally ranked amateur tennis player when he was living in Korea. He's always been extremely athletic. He, he played a lot of football, what we Americans would call soccer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when he came to America, he was playing a lot of tennis with his friends that had also emigrated over from Korea. And, you know, as the years went on, he was always a prime athlete. And when you have a day job and when you have kids, you know, that sometimes that athleticism goes away. And so they, you know, started falling away. And he was like, where are all my friends going? And they're like, we're playing golf now. And he's like, no way. That's what old people do. (laughs) He had a very, you know, I mean, and this was back in like the, um, you know, in the early 90s, mid 90s. And so, you know, that's the way a lot of people thought back then. It's to be fair, the way a lot of people think of it now. Mm. And so his best friend said, okay, you are the most athletic person I know if, you can hit this ball off the tee and like, you know, hit a good shot. I will suffer through and I will go back to playing tennis with you every single weekend. And I will not bring golf back up ever again. And my dad was like, piece of cake completely with the ball as, as you do as expected and was completely enamored with the game um you know he got his degree at seoul national university which is like a korea's like ivy league school and 
he got his degree in kinesiology and body mechanics. So he did not understand what on earth was happening. And so he fell in love with the game immediately because, you know, everything that we do, whether it's tennis, baseball, basketball, football, soccer, um, anything we do, even when it comes to chess, with the exception of the first move, everything is reactionary. And golf is one of those sports where you start in a static position pretty much every single time you hit the ball. Um, you know, obviously you have to make adjustments whenever you go to where the, where your shot went for the next shot. Um, you have to start in a static position, though, so you create the movement as opposed to just being reactionary and just following along. Well, I did this, so I have to do, you know, I, I see the ball coming at me, so I swing like this. Um, so I think that was where he got the obsession from. Plus, you know, he finally came across something that he wasn't good at immediately, and he was like, I don't know what that, this is new to me. Huh. So let's do a little bit of a deep dive. Do Is that where some of your competitiveness comes from? Um, I, I, I joke with my friends that I'm a curious little monkey. So to an extent, yes, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm always wanting to know the whys. I'm wanting to know the hows. And I like to sit there and I, I, I question where something stems from. You know, I, 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 I feel like a lot of people are so focused on the effects of things that I like to sit and really figure out what the causation of things are, um, so, you know, it's not so much necessarily the competition um, that, that, that me, you know, striving to understand the whys is not so much in terms of competition. It's more just picking apart and understanding where something originally stems from. We're talking with uh, Christina Kim here on the Augusta Golf Show. So, Christina, when did you realize that you wanted to make a living playing golf? Um, you know, I, I don't have, like, the exact date. I know I was, like... 17 or so i i just knew you know from the time i was um probably about 14 to 15 i was like i want to play golf for the rest of my life i fell in love with the game i was you know starting to regularly break par and you know was was fascinated by how the better you get the harder it is to shed strokes off your score and you know it's it you know you don't really reach that top echelon of something very often. So when you are able to do something like pretty darn well, and it gets that much harder to get that much better, even incrementally better, it, it was always so fascinating to me. So when I was um, 17, I, I, I had played in my first professional event, which, uh, you know, is currently a Symmetra Tour. Back then was the Futures Tour. I played as an amateur because I lived within 100 miles of the venue and lost in a playoff. And um, that summer, I played in my first ever U.S. Women's Open. I was the um, third low am and the youngest player in the field to make the cut. And my dad was like, you know what? We would have made like 10 to 12 grand if you had like been a professional. And I was like, what do you mean? He was like, you can make money playing golf. I was like, what do you mean? And he was like, yeah, you can make money playing golf. I was like, oh, my God. So I just thought I was going to mooch off of you guys because you're my parents and that's kind of your job. <laughs> So I can do this for a living? And he's like, oh, my goodness. Like, how, how have you made it to 17 years of life not knowing this? And so I, you know, I just knew I wanted to play golf to, 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 for the rest of my life. And so then when I found that out, I was like, you know what? I want to turn pro. And, you know, both of my parents were educators before they left Korea 
for um, um, America. And so, you know, it, it was a little bit of a, it wasn't exactly a conflict. They were just like, you know, we, we put such a premium on education and we want to make sure that our child has the opportunity to have the best education that she can get. Um, you know, are you sure this is the way you want to go? And back then I said, I mean, honestly, I can always go back to school. You know, like you can, you're never too old to learn something new. And, you know, lo and behold, 20 years later, it's cool to be going back to school and not be, you know, a, 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 a fresh 18-year-old right. freshman in college. So I always joke that I'm a bit of a trendsetter. Um, so I said, this is what I want to do. And, and I also believed you go to college to figure out what you want to do with your life. And, you know, that's not necessarily uh, how I view it now because, you know, people stumble into careers all the time. So it's not necessarily that you have to go to college and that's the only way you'll know what you want to do with yourself. Um, it just so happened that that's the way I thought back then. And I was like, so I already know what I want to do. So cut out the middleman. Let's, let's go. And my parents did eventually, you know, after we had a lot of talks and they, they thought about it a lot and they said, okay, we're going to support you in making this decision. Um, and that summer I had shot 62 at the U S girls junior in stroke play. Um, and they were like, okay, you're not, you know, they're like, you kind of know what you're doing. Like you got a lot long way to go and you have a lot to learn. You, 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 you might be able to do this. And so we just kind of took it off from there and never looked back. What's the best thing about being out there on tour? Under I, under I, regular circumstances, I, I it's hard to say. I mean, I love everything about it. I love to travel. Um, I love to encounter new foods, new experiences, new cultures. Um, you know, I I love the interaction with the communities that we get because you know I've got some friendships that have um, you know lasted my entire career. You know, with people that I see only you know once every you know, year or so, every 52 weeks, I, I, um, you know, think that travel is one of the best ways to learn about yourself as well as, you know, where you're, you're going to and, and realizing just how different people are while still having the same core values of, you know, just being a good person. Um, you know, I, I love to dabble in languages. So I'm talking with, you know, all of my friends that are not necessarily from America or even friends from America that speak other languages. You know, I, I, I think that the, my favorite part, I guess, if you were to put it in an umbrella term, is the opportunities that I get to learn while I'm out here. Well, your English is very good. I should hope so, seeing <laughs> how I'm an American and it's my first language. I should hope so. I, I know there are times when... You know, I, I get a little bit of a southern drawl. Or oh, I'll talk yeah. The Valley Girl. Okay. All right. Um, yeah. Um, you'd I, be surprised. Um, for those who have not seen you recently, you've undergone a bit of a transformation. Uh, tell me about the catalyst for that. Um, well, so last year, uh, about 10 months ago, I was in, I was e emotionally, physically, and mentally exhausted and drained. And so I had told myself, um, you know, I had a number of friends and people close to me that had tried doing the ketogenic lifestyle and, um, you know, they looked great. They said that they felt great, which is more important to me. And I knew that I had a bit of a sugar addiction and, and I know that I would suffer from sugar highs and sugar lows. Um, and so I just told myself, I said, you know what, I think it's the sugar that is causing a lot of these issues. Like, more emotional and mental than anything else, because I always joke that I have, uh, you know, and it's, it's not funny, 
to be fair. It's not funny. Um, I always say that I have body image dysmorphia just in the reverse where I would sit there and I would say, I'd look in the mirror and I would say, you have a good heart. And that's all that matters. And, you know, like I, um, so I decided to try the ketogenic uh, lifestyle because I hate the word diet. It has such a negative connotation to it. And, and so I, um, came back home after a long stretch of tournaments and I do this thing a few times a year anyway, where I call, I call it hibernation where I will go home. I will lay in corpse pose in my bed and I will be asleep for anywhere from 14 to 17 hours a day. Basically don't leave bed unless it's for something like completely necessary. And, um, I would always stock up on water and, uh, you know, whatever, whatever snack I was deciding to snack on for a few days. And so this time I had pecans, I had walnuts and I had macadamia nuts. And so I did that. I was, I would be awake for, you know, off and on for like seven hours a day. I'd be sleeping 17 hours a day just to give myself a physical and emotional rest. And after four days, I finally emerged back into uh, society. And by society, I mean, outside of my bedroom. And um, I kind of sort of, kick-started into ketosis, which is where your body, um, you know, instead of burning carbohydrates, which is, you know, that's why we eat carbohydrates is because our body naturally consumes them and then converts them into energy. And so I was depleting myself of carbohydrates mm -hmm. and flooding my system with good fat. And so my body was like, well, our two options are we can either allow you to start dying or we can take you know, we'll make a compromise and we'll just find something that we can convert into energy to keep you alive. And hey, you're eating fat and you've got plenty of like reserves in your body. So why don't we just start burning this instead? And um, so, you know, I lost like 35 pounds. I lost 17 pounds in the first three weeks, 35 pounds in the first three months. Um, I've lost, I, I want to say about a total of about 70 pounds of fat. I've put on about 10 pounds of muscle. And, you know, I just, I just did it, though, because I wanted to get the shackles of sugar off of me because I know how detrimental sugar can be for my mental health. Because you have these highs, you have these lows, you have these bouts of energy, these bouts of lethargy, and, and you know that that is going to have an emotional toll on you as well as a physical one. So, um, you know, and I told myself, I said, if you end up, you know, gaining more weight, and if you end up, say, heaven forbid, dying because you got half an avocado lodged down your throat, like, you've had a good run. Like, <laughs> you know, I, I, it's it's okay. Oh. And so, you know, I was fortunate enough where that, that wasn't the case. And, um, you know, about six months ago, I, I started working out with a trainer, Ryan Blackburn of Orlando Golf Performance. And, and I was like, okay, I'm, I'm like, you know, this is still like 15 pounds ago. And I said, I want to now get stronger. I don't care what I look like. You know, like for me, I look in the mirror, I see the same person that I say, you have a good heart. You care about people. You are concerned about things outside of yourself. Like this corporeal bullcrap doesn't matter. You know, I see people for who they are, not what they look like. And so we started working out and I started getting stronger and stronger and, you know, was working, um, you know, working on my games during this entire period that we've been on lockdown. So, you know, the... Mm, you know, even though I was, you know, in essence, losing weight and changing the way that I was shaped and all that, I was still grinding every single day 
to work on swing changes that I wanted to, to take care of. So it just kind of ended up working out where I was able to implement these swing changes as I was losing weight. So how's your game um, different? How's your game different? Um, I mean, I can finish 18 holes of golf after hitting balls for an hour and I feel fantastic. Mm. Uh, like 18 holes on, on a golf course now. I'm like, is that all we're going to have to do today? Um, you know, whereas before I'd be, you know, struggling to make it in for the last, you know, four or five holes. Um, you know, I, my golf swing is a lot more efficient. I've picked up some speed. Um, I'm hitting it farther a little, you know, a bit further. I'm hitting mm-hmm. it better. Still not hitting as far as I used to when I was, you know, at my, my youngest and the strongest I was, um, you know, and I've completely revamped my putting stroke. My, I mean, I've changed basically everything about my golf game. And I have that mental clarity now where I'm able to trust what it is that I'm doing. Are you, you're out there, you're back on tour this week. Are you concerned about being out there with everything? I am, I joke that I've been preemptively preparing for COVID-19 for the last two and a half years because I, I don't stay in hotels if I can avoid it. I, I do a lot of Airbnbs. I have always loved to cook so i sit there and i say okay i'm going to go to the golf course i get my practice done play it around whatever do some sort of a cool down whatever i need to do and i say the only thing i care about is taking my pants off at the end of the day and like you know i use that metaphorically as in like i want to go home and relax and so i've been doing that i've gone out to dinner with friends maybe five times in the last two and a half years so this is nothing new for me in that regard now in terms of you know, staying safe. I've been social distancing for a long time. Yeah. Last year at the end of the season, I stopped giving hugs anyway. I was shaking hands with players and then, you know, give hugs after that if they were like really close friends. Um, my folks, they live with me in Florida. So I have not given them a hug since the middle of March. So if I'm not hugging my parents, you can damn well be sure I'm not giving anyone that's not my family a hug because they're the ones that are going to receive my first hugs once this is all over and done with. And we have a vaccine that's viable. Did you, how much did you enjoy, I mentioned broadcasting, did you enjoy that? I had a great time. I mean, the, the, the folks with PJ Tour Live, they were so, they were so energetic. They were so wonderful. They were nurturing. Um, you know, they were, they were, you know, very kind with their criticisms in that they were like, you're just speaking, you know, we're not here to stroke your ego. If you do something that we think you can do, um, in an improved manner, we'll let you know. And, you know, I just sat there, I said, I'm going to do the last thing I want to do is delve into a new world where I have to, like, try. You know, I, I don't want to be disingenuous. So I just said, I'm going to do what I would do if I was at the U.S., if watching the final round of the U.S. Open with friends that enjoy golf and they don't necessarily understand, you know, uh, golf course architecture, what a certain lie is going to do, what how you want to play a certain hole location, what the wind's doing, how the dew point is going to affect the relative humidity and what that's going to do in terms of how the ball is going to be, um, you know, how it's going to fly and things like that. So I just did what I would do if I was sitting at home. The only difference was I didn't have my hand down my pants and I wasn't shoveling snacks down my throat. <laughs> You know, bef- so I had a blast. Bef- well, you prob- Brian probably wouldn't have minded that. Katrick probably would have. Well, that's right. You guys weren't together, were you? Oh, we were together. Oh, okay. like we were in the studio together. Yeah. Right, so Katrick probably Brian, wouldn't. He um, wouldn't have minded that. <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I wanted to have some professionalism. 
Why? You were with Brian. Um, be, before I let you go, and I, 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 as you were talking and explaining the transformation, I was trying to figure out an articulate way of asking this question, and I don't know that I've come up with it. Your, 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 you've, your mental health has been well documented, and you've gone through this transformation. Is, is there anything you can or want to say? Or you, are you... <laughs> Has that improved your mental health? It doesn't improve your mental health. It doesn't change basically who you are. I guess I'm in some sort of clumsy way trying to ask for all of those people who, who may be struggling with those sorts of things and think that changing their body will be the end all and be all. Um, it, not true? I will. I, so it's, it's, it's all interconnected. I Again, I look at myself in the mirror and I see the same human being that I was 60 pounds ago. Cause I still got the same overall shape, like, you know, yeah. round is still a shape. I, I don't, and, and I never cared what I looked like. That was a thing. What I looked like on the outside never mattered to me. I, I only cared about who I was as a human being. And the thing is that by virtue of eliminating sugars, I was able to have a more level way of thinking. Hmm. And so I wouldn't have as many highs and lows and dips and valleys and things like that. So I think you know, indirectly, yes, it has. My self-worth has, you know, I've never equated what I look like to my self-worth. Um, that is one thing that I have been very fortunate to, to have abided by my entire life. Um, when I was younger, I did associate my score with my self-worth, which was also something that I could have chosen to not do. And I, <laughs> I, I started doing that, you know, a little bit later in life. Um, that's just something that you have to learn on your own. That I will say, though, that with the due to the increase of fats that I've been putting into my system and the decrease of carbohydrates, my body itself I feel like doesn't perform as well on carbohydrates as it does on fats. And your brain, which is not a muscle, it's a globular organ. It is comprised of about sixty percent fat. And so, by virtually feeding yourself, you know, fats, omega threes, things like that, I feel like I'm basically giving myself brain food. And so for me, I feel like that has, for me anyway, improved my mental health. Will I recommend this to anybody else? I, I would not sit here and say everybody has to try it. Some people do really well on carbohydrates. I know plenty of people that do really well on carbohydrates. Everybody's chemistry and body makeup is different. I can only speak on behalf of my own personal experiences. My mental clarity is through the roof. I've been, um, you know, uh, consuming, um, you know, more recently I've been consuming, you know, nootropics, which are, you know, good for brain functionality. Uh, I take magnesium supplements because um, part of the uh, quote-unquote keto flu, which is what people uh, say oftentimes takes place when you're eliminating carbohydrates and you're, you know, a lot of the weight that you initially lose is just excess water that's been stored in your muscles. Um, you know, you so you have a depletion of sodium oftentimes and you get cramps and people think you need to eat potassium. So they're like, how can I be on the ketogenic lifestyle and not eat bananas. I'm like, well, first of all, if you want to get a day, the proper daily dosage of potassium through bananas, you have to eat about 150 of them. And secondly, potassium does have an important role in maintaining muscle recovery and, and, and how they work. 
magnesium, excuse me, actually does a lot more for your muscles and it's really, really good for your heart and it's really good for your brain. So I've been, you know, consuming, um, you know, uh, like slow absorption magnesium. Um, I've been taking nootropics. These are all things that are really, really good for the mm. brain. So it's, it's kind of hard to say what the right thing to do is, or it's hard to say that keto has made me, you know, mentally better health, you know, health-wise sure. mentally, I, you know, help my mental health. It's, it's all interwoven. You know, I, I've never, again, I've never thought that because I was a fat slob that that made me sad. I was never like that. It was always other things, you know. So it's, it's kind of hard to say. Well, you know, you did a great job saying it, and I, and this is why I wanted to have you on. I cannot thank you enough for taking so much time with me uh, to do this. By the way, that that was the first time globular orb has ever been used on the program. I don't think I don't think I don't think Peter Jacobson has ever said globular orb. Um, Christina, thank you for taking the time to do this. Uh, play well. I wish you all the best, and and by that I mean in every facet of what you're doing and of your life. Thanks for taking the time to do this. Well, of course, John. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm, I'm sorry that it's taken us so long to finally get this done. Okay, so, so promise me you'll come back at some point. Promise me that you'll email me again and have me on. It's on you. This is all oh, on I see. you. I see. I can go home and get this treatment. Christina, thanks for, do- <laughs> thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. No worries. Take care.